Future Hacker Life Path Future. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Future Hacker. I'm your host, Maria Taiji. According to a Harvard publication, as much as the number of people with autism entering the workforce in the next 10 years is on the rise, currently the unemployment rate among people with autism is over 80%. The number of companies involved in neurodiversity hiring initiatives is modest today, as is the number of participating workers. How can companies without the resources for dedicated programs make real progress in bringing neurodivergent employees into their organizations? What are the main challenges? To talk about that, we have Andrea Girlanda. Andrea has 20 years experience working for global technology and media companies serving in both technical and commercial roles. He worked with TV networks, publishers, global media agencies, and global advertisers until 2019, when he joined Oticon UK as its CEO, to oversee business development to introduce purpose in his professional life. Oticon is an international social enterprise and B2B tech company providing IT consulting services and employing exclusively professional consultants on the Altium's spectrum. Hi, Andrea. It's really good to have you with us today. How are you doing? I'm good. Uh, it's nice to be here. Thank you for the opportunity, Mariam. And, you know, thank you so much for allowing us to talk about such a, an interesting topic. We've been covering diversity a lot, but, you know, usually, let's say the commonplace, right? You know, about gender equity and, and, and race and, and color. We really never covered neurodivergence inclusion. And it's usually the same social gaps that we, we find on the media, right? So... Just to make sure that our listeners are all on the same page, could we begin by having you covering the specificities of this publics? Like what it is a, a neurodivergent? The term neurodiversity refers to the concept that certain um, developmental disorders, and uh, let me say that I don't like the word disorders, I prefer to use conditions. Uh, so such disorders are normal variation in the brain, and people who have these features also have certain weaknesses and strength. The term um, neurodiversity conveys the idea that there is no single right way of thinking, learning, or behaving. For example, people with ADHD might have trouble with, with time management, but they often show high levels of passion, drive, and, and creative thinking. ADHD, by the way, stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It's a condition that affects people's behavior. And people with ADHD seems restless, might have trouble concentrating, and might act on, on impulse. Beside ADHD, and neurodiversity commonly refers to conditions such as dyslexia, which involve difficulty in learning to read uh, letters and other symbols, dyspraxia, which affect coordination, balance, and movement, other learning disabilities, and last but not least, autism, or autism spectrum disorder, which is a condition affecting between 1% and 2% of the population. Autism is a spectrum condition, to say, and affects people in different ways. We say that people with one or more of the above conditions are neurodivergent, and uh, everybody else is referred to as, as neurotypical. I hope that helps to uh, clarify a little bit the terminology. It does. Thank you. And I'm curious, how hard is it for someone to be able to get the correct diagnosis or, you know, having the families 
understanding if there is anything different with the child that they should be instructing or educating differently? Uh, there are countries uh, in Europe, the US, uh, where it's easier to get the, the diagnosis uh, done either through the public health system or a private assessment. But it takes time and it's expensive. And that in itself is an impediment for people who are looking for a diagnosis. Yes, I imagine it's even harder in developing countries, right? Exactly, exactly. It's very difficult. Uh, some people might be on, on the spectrum and, and never realize it. Yes. You know, there is this phrase that I read. I'm not sure if it was in Oticon's website, but I thought it was really interesting that autism isn't a processing error. It's a different operating system, right? Yes, yes. It's uh, ultimately, and don't get me wrong, we employ qualified psychologists to support our consultants who have many years of experience. But from my perspective, really, uh, when it comes to business, it's, it's just a label. We all have areas of strengths and weaknesses. And the goal here is try to enable people to uh, deliver to their full professional potential. And, you know, actually talking about that, a lot of skills needed for what we are calling jobs of the future, we have been covering for a long time here, Future Hacker. They are related to data analysis, data science, engineering, developers, and so on. And today, we currently already have this gap in qualified workforce needed, which is supposed to grow in the coming years. And so many of those skills needed are exactly the strength of someone in the autism spectrum. Is that correct? Could we cover that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, you're absolutely right. As you pointed out before, uh, Oticon is, uh, is an international social enterprise and business-to-business -business tech company providing IT consulting services. The reason Oticon is focused on autism is, is twofold. Firstly, as a social enterprise, our core social mission is to improve the employment prospect of autistic adults because there is an employment problem. In the UK, the employment rate across the population is above 80%. For people with one or more uh, disability, whether physical or mental, it drops down to 48%. And according to the National Autistic Society in the UK, as low as 16% of approximately 700,000 autistic adults living in the UK are in full-time paid work. It's a real waste of talent, and the situation is similar in other countries. Autism is a condition that affects predominantly social interaction, communication, sensory processing, and many adults in the spectrum simply don't have the interviewing skills required to shine and impress in the conventional recruitment process. They tend to be modest about their skills and experience. They don't like self-promotion. They make little or no eye contact. They might be quiet at time because they're either nervous or are processing information. Sadly, there is no correlation between having great interpersonal and interviewing skills and being a talented data analyst or cybersecurity expert. And the one-size-fits-all approach in recruitment penalizes autistic candidates more than everybody else. So there's a social problem and we're trying to tackle it. But on the other hand, there's a business reason. The second reason for us to be focused on autism is that there is an amazing untapped pool of talent in the autistic community. And it's not uncommon for people on the spectrum to have uh, above average superior abilities. While some of the abilities pertaining to fields such as visual art, music or architecture, at Oticon, we are interested in, um, in specific core cognitive skills There are more prevalent and prominent in autistic adults with a technical background, such as pattern recognition, prolonged concentration, attention to details, and accuracy. 
All the traits that are common to our autistic workforce include uh, honesty, transparency, a systematic approach to task, a drive for quality, a factual mindset, and lateral, out-of-the-box uh, thinking that allows them to look at, at opportunities, problems, and potential solution from a completely different angle. So all our consultants have above-average cognitive skills that give them a competitive advantage against their non-autistic colleagues, and particularly lend themselves to the fields that we specialize in, cybersecurity, data science, quality assurance, and software development. The reason why we set up Oticon as a social enterprise providing IT consulting services is because in this space, autism can be a competitive advantage rather than a disability. Andrea, you just mentioned so many important points. I'd like to break it down a little, okay? So first of all, and I, I completely understand, you know, the strengths are there, the skills are there. But my first question to you is, are they able to get the education needed considering it should be better tailored for the way, you know, they operate? And now thinking about a younger age, right? Um, we focus on autistic adults. There are complexity related to education that obviously represent a barrier since the beginning The focus of our activities is, is employment, and this is why we focus on, uh, on adults. It's difficult. Whether you're young or adults, there's a lot of stigma around autism, and 40% of the people on, on the spectrum resist the idea of disclosing their condition, either to friends or, or their employer. Oh, that's that's a, a very important data. And I understand it also depends on, on the region you are, and I'm sure that it's challenging for everybody. So focusing on the adults and the process that you're specialized on. So could you walk us through not only the challenges, but, you know, the alternatives when adapting the hiring process? People on the spectrum um, are affected by their condition in, in different ways. Uh, for example, those with ADHD are more likely to experience fatigue. So short meetings and calls are, are preferable. They're also distracted by small things, which others wouldn't notice. So having a desk next to a window or a corridor in an interview is, is not ideal. Autistic individuals, for example, are very literal. So if, if you put together a job description and you require, I don't know, five years of experience for a specific role, an autistic candidate with four years and 11 months of experience might, might not apply. So it involves a lot of adjustment and the conditions vary widely across the spectrum. Some of the most helpful small adjustments for autistic employees include, for example, having clear and defined uh, instruction, whether this is an interview or whether it's a meeting. Clarity in communication is, is, is a must. Uh, flexible working hours. Having a preferred desk, maybe in a suitable location. Uh, the options to wear a noise-canceling headset. Being able to take uh, regular breaks in resting areas. Having a workplace body or mentor, these are all examples of small recent adjustment that can be introduced in one organization in order to support individuals and not just autistic individuals. Some of these uh, the small adjustments are, are beneficial for everyone. Oh, that's for sure. I understand that you also offer uh, not only the psychological support, this, this coaching for both sides, right? For the companies that are hiring a neurodivergent workforce and also for the employees. Could you walk us through that? Yes. Well, we work with clients and take them on a phase journey uh, to drive change. 
our support framework is is already replicable on the client side. No employer can provide a job coach to every ten employees. That's that's the ratio at at Oticon. The moment we hire autistic consultants, we pair him or her with with a job coach uh, for for the rest of the employment. Uh, so while it's paramount to have specialized personnel who can assist with with situations that become uh, challenging and and drift off. One of the root problems is that existing neurodiverse colleagues have managers who are unaware of the extra support they need and are unable to manage, support and develop their employees, leading to a a low retention rate for roles and and lost talent. So in our view, in our model, the journey, the transformation, the DNI transformation journey starts with, with a live experience with autistic colleagues. There is nothing more effective than, than working alongside our autistic IT consultants to prove the benefits of having neurodiverse teams and, and shift perception of autism, which remain the biggest stumbling block to employment. Then it's about raising awareness and education. Our training program is, is designed for leaders, managers and HR professionals and build on the learnings acquired with the live experience we offer training on on subjects such as neurodiverse condition, workplace assessment, communication, disclosure, management of neurodiverse colleagues, attracting, recruiting, and hiring neurodiverse talent. Lastly, once clients have developed a better understanding of of neurodiversity and its challenges, our advisors work uh, closely with their HR teams and, and managers to review policies, processes, materials, offering tailored recommendation on how to make them more neuroinclusive. That's that's the journey in our view. There are three pillars, the live experience, the awareness, and the driving change. Essentially, it's uh, an advisory project where we sit down with clients, and once people are aware of, of the challenges, are comfortable with the language, have done some experience with us, finally, we look at those practices and try to improve them in order to make sure that they're suitable for neurodivergent individuals and everybody else. You know, listening to your answer, I'm curious, how mature does a company need to be in order to prepare itself? And I'm asking that because it's very common nowadays. And when we talk about any type of inclusion, right? Companies, they're just checking the box like, okay, uh, more women or more, I don't know, whatever their boxes are. They just check in the box on the hiring process, but when it comes to onboarding and actually trying to change the culture and all the acceptance that is around that, and that's for anyone really, right? They're failing terribly on that. So when when you're going and, and, and talking to clients, for sure you, you have an understanding of, okay, this company is ready for that, or no, they still need to mature somehow. What's your thought about that? Well, more and more employers are interested in becoming more supportive and inclusive, but they are scared because they don't know how to do it. So our advice for employers is simple in the sense that, number one, they need to find and work with with a partner, someone with experience in this space. Our advice is, is to not reinvent the wheel from scratch. Allow me an analogy, for example. Learning to become more supportive and inclusive is, is a little bit like learning to swim. Swimming in in safety and for pleasure can be achieved by everyone, but it's at the beginning of the learning curve that external support is needed most. An overly confident learner could could decide to start without support and drive in deep waters straight away, and uh, and that's a dangerous thing to do. If you don't know what you're doing, water can kill you. 
Someone else may be uh, more fearful and concerned about the potential risk and decide to read uh, some books before getting wet. How many books one should read before trying to swim? Uh, with swimming and DNI, our experience suggests the best way to learn is to practice under the guidance and the support of a qualified instructor in a safe environment. So that's advice number one. Advice number two is, is in line with yours. It's, it's not a box ticking exercise. Uh, it's not about starting with recruitment. That's the last piece of the transformation journey rather than the first one. Our advice is to take on a, a phased transformation journey at first focusing on, on processes and policies that impact existing neurodivergent talent and then work backwards through the employment life cycle, ending with, with the very first candidate touch point. Now, as you alluded to, uh, for some employers, the priority is to hire additional neurodivergent uh, staff. It's about increasing the number of heads in the company. The transformation journey should start at the end of the employment life cycle, supporting and retaining existing neurodivergent colleagues first. Ideally, when a candidate applies for a job, the employer should be prepared to provide uh, answers and assistance at every stage of the employment life cycle, including recruitment, onboarding, performance assessment, and, and promotion. Supporting existing employees, it's easier. It doesn't require the whole employment life cycle to be neurodiversity friendly. Also, if you allow me, it doesn't look good if an employer invests in recruitment and neglect existing staff. And then probably a, a third advice for company interested in embarking in the, in the DNI transformation journey is to move away from the one-size-fits-all uh, approach. Uh, the key to succeed in this endeavor is not conformity, but, but flexibility. A drive for quality has led many organizations to adopt a one-size-fits-all approach, which is essentially uh, incompatible with equity in its true sense. Uh, the most successful approach to DNI is not, is not a quality of treatment, but a quality of opportunities. The key is flexibility rather than conformity. It shouldn't be about different processes for men or women, uh, processes for neurotypical or individuals or, or processes for neurodivergent employees. What works best is to flex your existing model. Every employer is different and introduce variations and options suiting the specific area of strengths and weaknesses that every individual has. Those are, I would say, are the three main advices for company interested in, in starting the transformation journey. Those were all great advices, Andrea. Thank you so much. And at the end, it's all about, you know, respecting differences, you know, having empathy and, and feeling more comfortable with, with people that are just different from you. It doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's better or worse. It's, it's the basics, the basics of, of living in an inclusive society, right? I have a last question for you. How do you see new technologies helping the inclusion, now back specifically about neurodivergence, I would guess, for example, that having companies more open to the remote work, for example, was a plus, right? How do you see this evolution? Uh, you're spot on. Now, don't get me wrong, but the pandemic has, in some respect, including remote work, I think positively transformed the workplace, uh, most certainly for our consultants. Firstly, it, it proved that we all don't need to be condensed in the same building every day to be productive. And uh, secondly, remote work has removed altogether workplace impediments, barrier, causing stress and, and anxieties in our consultants, including uh, noisy, crowded office space and, and above all, the commute to and from the office. So, yes, uh, technology is an enabling factor. 
we are converging towards an hybrid model where employers are prepared to accept that employees are equally productive even if they work from home. And I hope that technology also will help us to to push the barriers with regards to, to working hours. I unfortunately, for example, don't don't sleep uh, much at night. I'm, I'm up at 3, 4 a.m. every day. And my most productive hours are 4 a.m., 8 a.m. And then I become um, a zombie, as I say, after 6 o'clock in the evening. So um, it's about providing accommodation and allowing individuals to perform at their best. And in order to do that, you need to have um, an understanding of who they are. We are not resources. We are individuals. We have different set of, of weaknesses and strength. And all we're asking for is to be accepted really for who we are and appreciated for the work we do. That was the absolute perfect way to end our interview, Andrea. Thank you so much. I think that's a very, very important topic, especially that we are talking so much about, you know, how we should be preparing ourselves uh, about the job of the future. We have so much potential within this public. I do hope that organizations like yours, you know, spread around the world. And, you know, we are cheering for you. Thank you. Thank you for being our guest. (laughs) Thank you very much for having me. I wish you all the best. Okay. Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Future Hacker. Life. Path. Future.